as I start this morning, someone made a remark, hey, when I was here last year, you had one of the last messages of the year. Why are you at the end of the year? And I guess it's because the rest of them have run out of gas and I've got to bring it home. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about the Great Commission for today. And I know a lot of times you have negative thoughts when you first think of that. I would like to look at it from a little bit different aspect, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you. But to introduce the subject, I have to tell a short Christmas story since we're just coming off of that, and a Christmas gift that I received. In our house on Christmas morning, after a few things are done, we sit downstairs around the Christmas tree where the presents are, and normally I sit closest to one side of the tree, my wife the other, so that we can hand out to the kids and the grandkids and have an enjoyable time. And we always do, although this year as we were handing out the gifts, um, my wife reminded me, said, Chuck, you're not handing those out, you're letting the grandkids, I said, I could use a little help handing them out, and uh, but we have a, a little tradition that we have after the last gift is opened. What we do is, and maybe some of you do this, I mean, the wrapping paper is used to make the snowball effect so you can throw snowballs at each other of wrapping paper. Well, as we're going through the process, I sort of noticed, that, hey, there's not a lot of gifts coming my way right now, and I'm a little kid. I like gifts like anybody else does. And, but the other part is, I'm not really getting any ammo for when this is all over. And I could see my grandsons taking their wrapping paper. You don't throw it away after you open your gift. You hold on to your wrapping paper because that's your ammo. And I thought, I don't know if this is going to work out very good because there doesn't seem to be any gifts coming my way. And uh, lo and behold, I, I did get a bigger gift and it wasn't in wrapping paper. So now... I'm going to show you the gift that I received. This is the gift that I received. It's a really, really nice blanket. And uh, notice it actually has the very passage of Scripture on it that we're going over this morning. Now, I made a decision well over a month ago of what passage I was going to go over. My kids had no idea what I was going to go over, so it fits as a perfect illustration. There it is. Go. Now, you noticed that it's a Green Bay goal. So that's how my kids think about me. Green Bay and the Great Commission. What a great combination, isn't it? <laughs> and you probably say, Chuck, you know Green Bay is not going to the playoffs this year. I know, I know. But I have a verse for all of you that are rooting for teams that are still in it. I found it in Psalm 12, 8. It says, the wicked wander everywhere. <laughs> and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. <clears throat> I don't have to worry about that this year. Some of you might. <laughs> and did you get plastered with wrapping paper? Yes, I did. <laughs> I was able to fire back as the ammunition came at me, but it was an enjoyable time. But I really appreciated the gift that introduces the passage we look at, which is this passage. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just say several things even before we start so that you understand where we're headed. 
Some of you, as you finish up this year and you always make resolutions, what can I do better? How could 2019 be better? And those are good thoughts to think. Maybe some of you are saying, you know, I would love to know Jesus better in 2019 than in 2018. And, and that would be a great desire. And uh, with that, though, you might ask questions. Well, where do I, or how do I really get to know Jesus? Where do I find Jesus so that I can get to know him better? And my response to that actually is in this passage right here. As you see this command. It is a command, go and make disciples of all nations. But you notice as you come to this, he says, behold, I am with you always. Do you know where you really find Jesus and get to know Jesus? You find it, it's not just this, but it's within the commands that he gives us to follow. Because you will find him in that command as you seek to obey that command. You will find your Lord right there in the midst and you will sense his power and you will sense his presence and you will get to know him in the midst of obeying that command. And I don't say this just for the Great Commission. This is true of all scripture. When husbands think, love your wives, and you say, boy, that's just difficult right now. And yet within that same passage, it talks about being filled with the spirit. Or it talks about the wife submitting to the husband as unto the Lord. It talks to the kids as far as obeying and honoring. Those are all found there. When it's difficult, you get to know God by obeying and following what he desires you to do. So it's not just true here, but it's true of every command as you go through the word of God. And not only that, there's something else about this that we want to look at this morning, and that is this great commission that our Lord gave was meant to be given as a privilege. As you look and think about Jesus' life, do you think he delighted in obeying his father's command, in loving the father, in submitting to the father, and obeying and honoring? Don't you think, in a human sense now, he got to know his father through those human experiences. It was his delight to do that. And all he's trying to do with us is he wants us to be able to experience that very same thing. That's why when 1 John was written, John writes about the commandments of the Lord. And he said, they are not burdensome. And they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. So as we look at this, we're going to look at that aspect of it and try to bring that out as we go through my son and I had the privilege of going to South Africa just a little bit ago when we came back, and it was a very enjoyable experience. As you look at this, this is a child's graveyard in South Africa. 
And oftentimes they would dig holes so that they would be ready to be used because of the epidemic that went on. They have curved that somewhat, but death is a reality. And it, it reminds us of the shortness of life. And uh, so that was a very sobering thought as I went through South Africa. Now, Chad and I were able to go on a safari, and the animals are a little bit different there than you see in the Iowa cornfields. <clears throat> And we had, it was joyful. We got to see a lot of different things. And so I thought I would just show several of the things that we were able to see as we went on our safari. The first time I actually was in the midst and could watch a herd of elephants going. And it was very interesting and enjoyed it very much. But again, the most important aspect of any ministry is people, isn't it? And so we had the joy of leading a youth camp, and I'll share a little bit more about that as, as we go through this. But again, coming back to the passage of Scripture, i just like to share several things here. Here's the passage again. Go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. Those are the verbs of the, ver the verses we just looked at. Now, number one, Remember, as Matthew records the story of Jesus led by the Holy Spirit, these are the last verses of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, what it means, he tells the whole story of Jesus, how he fulfilled everything that was written in the Old Testament, and how he suffered on the cross, died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and that's the good news of the gospel. That's how people are saved I had a chance to talk to my mom just a little bit, and I said, Mom, why do you think, if you were Jesus, why would he let you into the kingdom? And I didn't know what she was going to say. And she said, well, I would say to him, I have faith in you, and I love you. And um, I said, well, why do, you, why do you love him? Well, he died on the cross for my sins. That actually gave me great hope as I worked with my mom trying to share the gospel with her. But the whole idea is when you come to the end of this gospel, what the Spirit of God wants us to focus on is the idea of getting that story out to people. Now, several things here that we need to pay attention to. And uh, notice it doesn't say, go build great churches. Now, we're in the midst of hopefully launching another church plant. We're not the leaders in that, but we're going to help with that. And yet, any local church that's healthy will always be practicing making new disciples. That will always be there. When you go to the book of Acts, it talks about, in, in Acts 11, when it talks about the church at Antioch, it says, great many people were added to the Lord. Well, how are people added? The gospel is preached. Jesus died. He paid the entire price for your sins. If you put your entire confidence in his work instead of yours, you'll be saved, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. That was preached at Antioch. They taught a great many people, that's discipleship, and then they sent out missionaries in Acts 13, and as they went out, the same process took place when they started churches, preached the gospel to that city, and many, and many disciples were made, and they appointed elders, so the discipleship process is the basic building block 
of a healthy church. And we have to continue to do that. We'll have to do that in the new church plant. We have to continue to do that here. That's what Jesus is sharing. It's so important. Now notice the word go. It's not the main verb, but it's important for this reason. At the time of Jesus, discipleship making was a part of their culture not like ours, but in that day, for instance, the Pharisees had disciples. How it normally worked was this. If there was a spiritual man and you were a younger person looking up to that person, you would go to the spiritual man and say, I would like to learn from you. Could I be a disciple? And then the man would say, yes, you can spend time with me. That's the way it worked. John the Baptist had disciples. Again, people followed him and learned from him. Moses had disciples. That's the way it worked. Now, when Jesus showed up, it changed. It changed with this word, go. Because Jesus was a spiritual man, but he did not wait till people came to him. He initiated and went To Peter, to Andrew, when they were fishing, he said, I'd like you to leave your nets and your business. I'd like you to follow me. So he went after them. He did the same thing with Matthew. Matthew, follow me. When he visited the the woman at the well, he initiated that whole contact. He was going, going. This was a radical change that was taking place. And so the discipleship process was gonna change now. Instead of waiting people coming, he's saying go. Now think with me just for a little while. Church history. Has the church mainly followed Jesus's directive with this? Or have they come to rest back on the pharisaical system where we wait? for people to come to us. And I would argue the sad part of church history oftentimes is we went back to the pharisaical system. We wait for people to come to us. That's not what Jesus was trying to do here. He was trying to revolutionize the entire discipleship process. He was seeing you pursue And so there's a radical change that we take from Jesus. And my question to us personally, how do you look at the discipleship-making process? Is it come or is it go? And I would simply say we need to think through what Jesus is saying here. We need to go. Now, there's another part. As you go through, it was my joy to be in South Africa for several Sundays. And uh, here's five young people that had been pursued by people that work in South Africa. And I'm going to share one story a little bit later on. But it was a joy for me to listen to the stories of these young people as they shared, much like they do here at Sailorville, And each of them shared their stories. This was one young lady. In fact, here's the young lady's family. The two young ladies here are Portia and Perpetua. 
They shared great stories. Their family is Catholic. Someone pursued them until they were saved. This is the first time that this mom and dad had come to a Bible teaching church. I had the joy to speak to them briefly after the service was over. I left the Bible study booklet with them and encouraged them to look at it. What a joy to watch them listen to their daughters tell their story on how they had come to know Jesus Christ. What a joy it was to watch that. Here's another young man by the name of William. We had taught at a Bible camp for a week there, had an enjoyable experience. William had actually interviewed to be baptized prior to camp. But as he shared his story that last Sunday, we were in South Africa, he said on Wednesday morning, I was doing the devotions that talked about Jesus dying on the cross, paying the price, and I bowed my head and asked to be forgiven. Was that his first? I don't know if he had been saved early or not, but the camp really made an impact on him. And so it was a great joy to see that take place. I was delighted because my son Chad was the one that actually wrote up the devotional material, and I had Chad have, take a picture with him a little bit later on. But what a great joy to be involved in discipleship, in baptizing as the command was given. So we are to go. But there's another part of this great commission that I want to draw your attention to. If you have your Bibles, if you are in Matthew 28, if not, I'd ask you to go there because there's something you need to note about what Jesus is teaching here. And that deals with the 11. In verse 16, 28.16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed. Some people assume that that means only eleven people went to that hill. But I think if you really study the context, you're going to find that that's not what's taking place. Why do I say that? Well, notice what it says. And when they saw him, this is in Galilee now, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now think about the story. Jesus died in Jerusalem. On the resurrection night, after he rose from the dead, <coughs> the 11 were together, except somebody was missing. Who was missing that first resurrection night? Thomas. Thomas was missing. And remember, he said, I am not going to believe unless I can see it with my eyes, unless I can touch him, I'm not going to believe. So they waited for a week the next Sunday. Again in Jerusalem, the 11 were gathered, Jesus appeared, and now Thomas saw, and he said, my Lord and my God. Do you think Thomas doubted after that? No. All the 11 were there, but when they gather in Galilee, which is a few days journey, there were some that doubted. Why? Because this was a bigger group than just the 11. And I say that because if you look at the text, if you look at, go up just a little bit in Matthew chapter 28, it says, it says this, Jesus hears the commands, then go quickly, the women said, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, this is on the resurrection day now, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. 
well, wait a minute. It talks about the disciples, and the disciples are being told that they'll see him in Galilee, not Jerusalem. So this is a larger group than the 11. It goes on to say, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, great joy, ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came, and they took hold of his feet. They worshipped him because he was God. Pat covered this a couple of weeks. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So again, instructions to go to Galilee. So it's a bigger group than the 11 because most of the people in Jerusalem on that Passover weekend were from Galilee. They were traveling home. And he's saying, go to Galilee and there you will see me. So as you look at it, keep in mind the public ministry of Jesus took place mainly in Galilee. We do know large crowds came from Galilee to Jerusalem on that final trip, Matthew 19. We know many people from Galilee were in Jerusalem at the crucifixion, Matthew 27. And many disciples returning to Galilee after the crucifixion, resurrection, that we just read. There's a large group going back. And so they go back to Galilee. And that's why when they gather at Galilee, some of them doubted because they never saw the resurrected Christ in Jerusalem. Only the 11 did. So there's a larger group than that as as you go through. So the conclusion is most of Jesus' public ministry took place in Galilee. Most of Jesus' disciples were from Galilee. So a large group of the disciples returned to Galilee, not just the 11 In fact, if you read in 1 Corinthians, it says in Jesus' appearance, he appeared to Cephas or to Peter. Then he appeared to the 12, which he did two Sunday nights in Jerusalem. But then it says, then he appeared to over 500 brethren at one time. And most scholars would say that then is the group that came to Galilee. That's where the 500 were as Jesus appeared to them in that mount on Galilee. And you know, even if that wasn't proven, it's still the idea that in 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that he has given to us, the people, believers, the ministry of reconciliation. It was to be given to many. So why is that important? Because when you think about what's going on, first of all, you have the radical idea of going. That's radical. But the second radical idea that Jesus is introducing, even as he gathers with this group, notice who he is selecting to be these disciple makers. One, fishermen were there. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and probably a few others as well. Fishermen were not normally the spiritual people that made disciples. Tax collectors. Are you kidding What tax collectors? They weren't even welcomed in the synagogue. You couldn't ask a tax collector to be a disciple maker, but Matthew was there. Slaves there, probably there were. A better part of the population were slaves in that day. Women, were they there? Yes, they were there too. Were they ever disciple makers before? I doubt it. But here's Jesus now looking at this vast community and he is saying to them, I want you 
to make disciples. The common people. He wants to make disciples. That's radical. Now, why does he do that? When you think through the life of Jesus himself, do you think he delighted in making disciples himself? Do you think he enjoyed calling Peter, Andrew, Matthew, and the rest of the group? Do you think he enjoyed doing that? It was the delight of his life. He loved them, it says in John, until the end. He taught them all the way up to the time that he was crucified. He enjoyed their presence. He walked with them. He taught them. What is he doing? He is saying to his everyday disciples, I want you to experience the very joy, the great privilege of making disciples, and I am opening this wide up to any follower of mine. But the emphasis here, the radical part here, is the common people now are included. So when you hear the Great Commission, instead of drawing back from that, actually, biblically, we should be saying, oh, thank you, Lord. I would love to be a part of this ministry. Thanks for including us. Is that the way you respond? I hope you understand that's what Jesus is laying the groundwork for here. This is to be a part, an enjoyable part of our life. And I pray that you would look at it that way. It's radical. You're to go, not to wait. It's radical because everybody's being included not just a few like pastor-type people are included in this. This is where Jesus is trying to help us understand. When I was there, I had the opportunity of meeting a number of two people. This man, we call him Uncle Jim. The kids call him Uncle Jim. And the reason I bring this up is because as you considered the two girls that I mentioned in the baptism before, he's the one that brought those two girls to the gospel, to the Lord. And he told me as we were out at the camp, he said, you know, I've tried to work with young people in America, but I just couldn't get the traction. And then I heard about this ministry. He said, I'm going to go. So he leaves the United States, moves to South Africa. And when I was at the camp, not only those two girls, numbers of others were brought to Christ because this man wanted to go and to share the gospel. I just applaud that. It was refreshing to see what he had done. This is Louis O'Toole, and uh, his mom and dad are around this morning as well, and uh, I saw the parents come to know the Lord. Louis came to know the Lord. Louis shared one day, and he said, now look, I'm working with all of you, and it was just a joyful time to look at the discipleship process and what was happening there. This is Louis's family, beautiful family, and all of them, they're actively involved in trying to make disciples in South Africa. But that's something we should be doing here, not just South Africa. 
Here's the pastor of the church, also very involved in uh, discipleship. That's my son, Chad. And uh, so there they are, unashamed, as we work with people there, trying to share the gospel with them. And there's the joy. Now, I told the first group, it was because Louis sneezed and then they laughed, but... To me, this is just the joy of discipleship. So let's look at it that way. <laughs> but it is a joy. It really is a joy to see what God is doing. Now, there's one other thing that I need to, to, to pull in quickly, but it's very, very important, and that's the power of the Great Commission. Naturally, I need to bring in animals because there's powerful animals in South Africa, and I enjoyed seeing them. There's the rhino. Got real close to that one. There's also lines that were right outside our camp, and uh, they can be powerful. They didn't give any trouble, but I mean, it's just the significance. But here it is. Notice I said you would meet Jesus as you try to obey that commission, and that is true, but here's the command. The phrase says, I am with you always. The Greek construction here is very interesting because there's an emphatic pronoun, I, which stands for the Lord, and then at the end it says, M, I am, that also is the Lord. This is exactly the way the Greek reads. And notice it puts with you, that's his disciples at that point, but also refers to us. Notice we're sandwiched in between two words that refer to the Lord. You know, I'm going to just tell you, that's a good place to be. That's a really good place to be. And that's why I say, this is where you meet the Lord as you work through and follow the commands he has for us. God is, God's greatest encouragement to his people is his presence. That's where we get to know him better. Here's Paul's example. Paul with the Corinthians, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And the Lord said to Paul, I hope you can identify with the first verse. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. And here it is, for I am with you. Don't you think Paul got to know the Lord better in his Corinthian experience? And that's what the Lord wants to us to understand, that that great privilege is for us. I had a Dr. Taves that taught me 40 years ago a simple principle. He used to go up to people and he would try to meet people in the neighborhood and he would knock on the door and he would say, I hope, I hope, I hope they're not home. That's what he used to do. That's the first verse. But then he understood the Spirit of God dwells in me. And he moved to the place where he wanted to become more conscious of the Spirit's presence instead of being conscious of your own weakness. And we need to learn that by faith. Think that through. He lives and abides within us. Unashamed, that's what we should be. You know, one of the nights when I was preaching there, as I came to the end, Chad and I visited with McLally twice, but the second night he came up to me and um, he said, could I go outside and talk with you for a while? And we did. As we talked, he said, you know, I think I would like to trust the Lord. So I prayed with him to receive the Lord 
one of the nights at camp. It was a great joy, and then I gave him a Sailorville shirt so he could remember the evening. And uh, it was just a great joy to do that. The whole idea here is that the Lord, in a radical way, wants us to go, and he wants us to be a part of that. So in 2019, not just in this commands, but with all commands, we get to know the Lord as we try to follow through and obey through his strength. That's where we get to know the Lord far better, especially and even in this great commission. So as you look at 2019, I pray that it will be a great year in which you get to know the Lord in a greater way. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that um, you have given us the privilege of the Great Commission, something that you enjoyed thoroughly, and now you would like us to experience the very same thing. Father, instead of running away from the Great Commission, Father, help us to run towards it, embrace it, all that we can experience in that. And I thank you for everyone here this morning. Father, we heard the word because somebody was obedient to the Great Commission. Now, would you use us in 2019 to be that person for somebody else so that they too could hear and believe and enjoy you? Guide our year, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.